And uh, so I want to welcome our internet audience. And I want to just say to you, as I continue with this session that we're on, uh, emulating the character of Jesus, you can feel free to send me an email or a text message uh, about uh, some aspect of it that touches your heart, something that you think is important uh, that I would uh, want to hear, because that's important for you to be able to do that with me. So feel free to do those things. There are brothers that do that, uh, and I appreciate that. I want to give you that opportunity to do that as well. Now, when we left off last week, we were on the characteristic of Jesus of uh, being prayerful. I'm getting a little bit of feedback. Uh, and so uh, being prayerful. Good. And so uh, I wanted to uh, focus on one aspect that Jesus said, which I think is important for us. And it relates to the Lord's Prayer. One of the brothers brought this up to me, and I thought he made a poignant uh, message as it related to, to this study. When you look at the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, or forgive us our, forgive us our trespassers as we forgive those who trespass against us. As, and as is defined there in the same manner, in like manner. And so when you see that prayer and think about it, in some ways it, it causes you to stand up short. And it causes you to say, oh, Jesus, I don't know if I can pray this prayer. Are you asking me, Lord, that you will only forgive me in the way that I forgive others? And the shorthand answer is yes. Now, it doesn't mean that your sin that will keep you from being in heaven or being with Jesus is related to your ability to forgive. No, that's not true. You're, you're, you're going to be in heaven because you, you accepted Jesus Christ. He washed away all your sins at that point in time, and he gave you uh, the, the Holy Spirit. But now we have a daily walk. Uh, and, you know, Jesus spoke about that when he washed the feet of the disciples, meaning, as he said, you're clean, but not all over, because as we walk in an evil world, the dirt of the world falls up on our garments. And that's really what this is about. The daily understanding that we need to forgive people who have trespassed against us. We heard the prayer this morning from our brother Wayne, uh, asking that God would intervene with the people that had stolen from him uh, and, and forgive them. Uh, and that's the kind of prayer that God wants us to make. Uh, and, and so if you find yourself in a position where truthfully, you're, you're, you want God to use you to advance the kingdom of God, and you're wondering why that is not taking place. I will submit to you that it may be because in this prayer life, you're not forgiving people uh, just as you would have them for God forgive you. All right? It becomes a blockage. And so God really can't give you everything that he wants to give you because there's some part of you that's not right. Uh, this is a difficult subject. I understand this, but I, I would submit to you that you need to, in your prayer life, constantly say to God, Lord, please help me to be the kind of man you want me to be. Help me to forgive those who've trespassed against me. Help me to pray for those, Father, who have done evil things to me. And when you begin to pray for those people, when you literally begin to pray for those people, the poison leaves you uh, and the blockage leaves you. And now God is free to fill your heart with so many wonderful things. 
uh, in so many ways. And I honestly believe that this, this is something that we need greater attention to. Just as, Lord, you forgive me just as I forgive others. Remember that. This was the model prayer. This is the Lord himself, the creator of this world, speaking to us about how we pray. And, and if that was important for, for Jesus, uh, and then it's even more important for you. So I hope you'll give it attention. Now, next up on our outline is the characteristic of Jesus regarding gentleness. Gentleness. Um, and, and this is not meekness. This is not, we're not talking about becoming a milk toast. Okay, becoming a wimp. God doesn't want wimps. All right. Uh, we're talking about a characteristic of gentleness, meaning firmness, yet speaking in firmness with a gentle spirit, not harshness. Uh, and so there were definite times uh, in the life of Jesus when he used stern words, when he took severe action, yet he understood when gentleness was appropriate. Uh, as you read the story of Jesus, one of the things that you see clearly is that children loved coming to him. Well, why would they love coming to him? Because he was a kind, gentle man that gave off this loving spirit. It attracted children in so many ways. And you see that. And he told the disciples not to hinder the children to come from him because he knew that that was the will of God. So he could be very kind-hearted and gentle. But when he was, get, but when he was turning up the heat, when he knew it was necessary, he did it strategically. I want you to turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, these are the words of Jesus, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How about that? Telling Jesus, telling you, come to me, take up my, uh, my cross, walk with me because I'm gentle. I'm kind. I will not overburden you. I will not give you more than you can handle. Uh, and that's important for us to realize as we walk with Christ, that he ha has that gentleness of spirit. And so even as we go through trials in life, even as we go through times of temptation, it's important to know that when we walk with Jesus, he's gentle, he's kind. Uh, and as he does this, he is with us. His yoke is not heavy. His burden is not heavy. It's light. Uh, and so it's important for us to understand this. Now, uh, this, this issue of gentleness is not weakness, and it does not come naturally. All of the characteristics that we talk about are not natural to the human condition. It's not typically natural to be gentle. And I'll prove it to you because if you took two babies put them in a crib and put one toy. And I would submit to you within five minutes, one kid will be bashing the other on the head with the toy. You know this, those of you that had kids. So what does it mean? It means we're not generally gentle. We're harsh. All right. And as we get older, it's worse. All right. We can barely restrain our tongues. We're ready to call down fire, hellfire and judgment on people. When we see them, we're generally harsh. We're generally angry. Uh, and, and why? We're living in Naples. I can't figure that out. But, but it still is. It doesn't matter. Here you are living in the Garden of Eden, and yet you still find this aspect. And I'm going to prove it to you when you turn to Luke chapter 9. 
And in many ways, this is a microcosm of us. Luke chapter 9. And this is a, a passage where Jesus is going to uh, travel back uh, to a town, uh, and he's not going to get a very good reception. Uh, so I want you to see the reaction of the disciples. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. At the time, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? You got to love these guys. You got you to love these guys. Three years, they're walking with Jesus. Three years. How many times should I forgive? Seventy times. And, and what now, Lord? They're not, that, they're not that hospitable. How about if we call down fire and wipe them out? I could see myself there right away. You know, just show me the spot where we ought to do it, Lord, and we'll do it. I mean, it just, just it, this, God has given you the Bible in order to learn from it. This is us. You know, this isn't a fairy tale. This is us. You see it. Uh, and, but Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. And I just love it. It just says he rebuked them. It doesn't say how, how he rebuked them, but you can imagine. He probably was pretty severe. You know, are you guys kidding me? After three years walking around, you think I'm calling down fire on people? I mean, but this is important for you as you do the work of the Lord, because you're going to come across people that you're going to want to talk to about Jesus, and some of them will be ignorant. They will be ignorant. They will repudiate you. They will say stupid things. And, and the initial reaction to you is to look at somebody and say, you're an ignoramus. You're an ignoramus, you know? I, I, it recalls a time from my own life when, uh, when uh, I was at a uh, Christmas party in Port Royal, uh, and there was this woman there uh, who had just been told that, that I, uh, I had uh, recorded a Christmas album on, on a CD and that I was a Bible teacher. Uh, and she goes to me, CDs? CDs? Who has CDs? I don't even have a CD player in my Bentley. Now, my wife was with me, and she knew my, my initial reaction would have been really, oh, lady, you're in trouble. <laughs> I said, madam, is there, is there something wrong with you? Is there, is there something? Are you all right? Are you all right? Because it was so out of context that she would say something that foolish. Are you, are you all right? And just in the way that I said it like that, it completely discombobulated her. Uh, and she walked away. You're going to find these kind of things in life. Not everybody is going to hail you. That's great what you're doing. You're a Bible teacher. I salute you. Oh, you're, you're performing Christmas CDs. What a wonderful blessing people will be blessed. No, no, a lot of people in the world don't like that. You're going to come across that. So I want you to think of the two disciples and saying, Lord, can we call down fire? Can we punish them? And God doesn't want you to do that. He doesn't want you to do that. Uh, and so this are, these are important lessons for you to understand this. Our present age is marked by hostility and malice. All you have to do is look at, look at the news. Hostility and malice. There's no gentleness. There's no gentleness. All you have to do is go to Washington, D.C. 
and see what's going on. And so here's the thing, as it relates to us as Christians, harsh tactics do not advance the gospel. Harsh tactics do not advance the gospel. All right? And so you have to watch this characteristic. Now, here's the thing. God has given you the Holy Spirit. And so this issue of gentleness, gentleness is an acquired characteristic. You ask God, Lord, help me to become more gentle. Help me to be more kind. Help me to be more reflexive of what I see, Lord, and not to be, uh, repudiate and to, and to be harsh. I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What does it mean? It means that as you develop the prayer life with God, as you ask God to help to make you gentle, he will give you an understanding through the Holy Spirit and peace. You will have peace in your heart. And so if you have peace in your heart, that peace will be reflected in the gentleness of your spirit. And so when you come to people who are outside of the will of God, who are involved in sin, in some issue that's outside of the will of God, instead of sitting there and going, you're going to hell. You're go- I hope you like heat because you're going to be getting a lot of heat. All right? I mean, I, I'm amazed when I hear Christians say this. I'm amazed when I hear Christians say this or when they decide that certain people can't be welcomed into the family of God, can't be brought into the church. You're a homosexual. Stay out in the, on the sidewalk. We don't want your kind inside a church. What kind of gentleness is that? Really, folks? We're not approving the lifestyle, but we're, we're embracing the sinner. We're not embracing the sin. God expects you to act differently. So when you come across people like that, God expects you to embrace them. Bring them into the body of the church. You think they're going to get changed on the sidewalk? Honestly, I, I, I'm, I'm stunned at some of our denominations who have this harsh tactic about some of these sins that we see prevalent in the world. You think by repudiating these people and sticking them outside of the church that they're going to be fixed? The only way God is going to speak to the heart is when we embrace them in love and they see the difference between us and the world. And then we mirror the love of God to them. And then the Holy Spirit speaks to their heart. You think you're going to change people? You're not going to change anybody. It's God who's going to change people through the Holy Spirit. But you're the messenger. What kind of a messenger are you? You are going to hell. You know that's how a lot of us are. Okay? We're so quick to call down judgment, aren't we? We're so quick to call down judgment. And so God is telling us to be more gentle. Um, and, and, And I want you to also turn to Isaiah chapter 40. There's an Old Testament reference on this issue. Verse 11, describing really what Jesus would be as the good shepherd. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. He carries the sheep. He puts them in his arm. He carries the lamb. 
He caresses them. He loves them in gentleness. Are you doing this with the body of Christ? Are you doing this in terms of the people that you know? Are you carrying them gently in your arms? Are you loving them? Are you showing gentleness and kindness? Frankly, are you doing this with your wife? Yeah, don't answer that question. All right? All right? And, and, and I understand that. You live with somebody for a number of years. Sometimes, you know, the just general harshness of, of character bubbles up to the, to the top. But I want you to understand something. God is expecting you to be gentle with your wife. Are you been gentle with your children? Well, you know, my children need discipline. Yes, your children need discipline, but they need it with gentleness. Okay? Gentleness. You know, uh, I, I have to say that in all the years that I raised my son, I never once lifted my hand against him. I wanted to. I threatened him. Uh, but, but I found that psychology was a better way of handling it, and he responded appropriately. I mean, I, I, we have to be careful about this issue. In other words, God is calling you to be a leader, and so you lead knowing what God's call is on your life, but he's telling you to lead with gentleness. Do it the way Jesus did. Think of this shepherd carrying the sheep uh, and embracing the sheep. And so all of this relates back to the characteristic of Jesus. This is an important characteristic that we need to emulate in our life. Now, there's another one that comes up now, but this is a real easy one. It's called patience. <laughs> I don't even know why I'm going to go into it, because I know you guys, and I've never met a more patient group of people. I'm glad that you have a lot of patience with me, because I am not patient. All right? I am not. When I first came to Naples, one of the great temptations in my life was going to Publix and waiting for the checkout people to check the food out in front of me. I could not believe people could be this slow. I could not believe it as I'm sitting here and I'm pulling my hair out and they're going, what is this and how are you? You having a nice day? I'm having a nice day. Where are you going tomorrow? I'm going, just check the food out. <laughs> I can't even go to the supermarket. I have to be tempted. And I know it's just me. You're not like that. I know you guys are not like that. But this is part of the problem when you come out of the Northeast, because we're all killing each other up there, that we don't even understand normal human contact. All right? All right. And so and what, what happens is you have a complete loss of patience. Well, here's the thing. Uh, throughout the Gospels, throughout the Gospels, Jesus is clearly portrayed as a patient man. Let me just make it very simple in a macro level. He's got 11 guys who are walking with him for three years and never truly get it. You know, they never truly get it. Finally, after he's crucified on the cross and he's resurrected from the dead and he walks back and they see him physically there, now a light bulb goes off. Now they understand it. But for three years, he didn't get it. And so here's the thing. As Jesus is walking with men, disciples, does he repudiate them? Does he put them down? Does he lose his mind? No, he continues to be with them in love. So I want to say to you that as we walk with guys uh, and women uh, through our churches and in our walk with God, who may be not on the same level that you are at uh, and maybe fall into certain levels of sin, 
We need to be patient. We need to be long-suffering uh, because th- uh, that's what, what Jesus did. Um, and, and I want you to turn, if you would, please, uh, to Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. And this is when Jesus now is giving himself up to go into the desert to be tempted from Satan. And I want you to understand the patience required by, by the Lord to expose himself to this. All right, he knew it was the will of God that he be subject to temptation. But he's now patiently going through the temptation. I want you to think about that. The patience and submission of the Lord Jesus Christ to allow himself to be tempted by Satan. Uh, And so just follow along with me. Verse 4, Matthew 4, verse 4. Actually, we'll start with verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now, I want you to understand something. It's 40 days and 40 nights, he hasn't eaten a thing. Yet he patiently is relying on God to take care of him. All right? Uh, As I said to a brother today, you know, a lot of us do this. We give it to God, we wait one minute, and we take it back. Is that you? All right? Because that's me. I say, Lord, I'm giving this to you. 60 seconds is up. I'll take it back now because I need to work on it. All right. Instead of saying, Lord, it's you. And so here you see Jesus patiently giving up this temptation, allowing himself to be taken into the desert. And the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And I want you to think about what that took for the God of the universe, the creator of this world, to watch this guy who is a created being sit there and taunt him, taunt him. And yet he knew patiently that it was in the will of the father. And so even though this created being is now going to sit there and taunt him, if you are, if, as if there was any doubt to what he was, how dare you speak like that to me? How dare you speak like that to me? If you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And so you see, you see the son of God patiently allowing the father's will to be in his life and to allow this temptation to take place. Then verse five, then the devil took him up to the holy city and had him stand on the highest points of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. The angels will take charge of you. How about that? If you are knowing that Jesus could in a second, in a second, do any of these things, uh, but he would not. He patiently relied on the will of the father, not stepping out on his own, not stepping out and doing what maybe his, his instincts told him to do, but instead patiently relying on God. Do you see how when you're patient and you say, Father, I will rely on you, I'll walk with you, how God walks with you? Look at these things. Uh, and, and, and so you see it here. And again, verse eight, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him the, all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Imagine that. I mean, really, it, it confounds me. It confounds me that the son of God, the creator of the universe, would have the patience to allow this to take place. Really, really. It's not like you and me going through it. This is God himself, and yet you see God is speaking to you. He's talking to you about patience, about why this is a virtue, why you need to have this, that you rely on God, you give it to God, now let God take care of it. Can I get an amen? 
Let's turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things there is no law. There it is. Patience. Being patient. Uh, And and so uh, bowing to God. Ask God to give you patience. And if you do, he will. But be patient about it. You understand? Don't sit there and fume because it doesn't come automatically. Because what's going to happen is he's teaching you patience. You're going to go through trials that are going to expose that to you. Uh, Christian patience is fueled by a firm belief in the wisdom of God. That's why we're patient, because we know that God has got us in his hand, that he's covering our lives. And so even to the extent that we're going through physical illness, we're patient because we know God is covering us. If it's his will that he'll heal us, he'll heal you. If it's his will that he will not heal you, then for his greater purpose, he will teach you this. Uh, And we also must recognize that God is generous and gives us every spiritual blessing. Now, patience is a spiritual blessing. Do you not believe that God would deny you that? He knows that that's a spiritual blessing. He will will definitely give you that. I want you to also to turn, if you would, uh, to James chapter 1. Uh, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. All right? Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. So there it is. The testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance in this regard is another word for patience. Knowing that, Lord, I'll be here. I'll stay here. I'll abide your will because I know you're in charge of my life. Uh, and, and this is important characteristic, uh, that we not be quick to reach out against people that we not be quick to show hostility, that we listen. How about that? So many of us want to talk. We want to speak. But God would say to us, sometimes we have to listen. We have to listen and hear and wait to hear what God has to say to us. And so this is how God develops patience. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. One page back. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and let me stop right now and let you know what that means. It means that in the air around us, it is filled with the witnesses of angels, uh, the spirits of, of those who serve God in the air around us, and also evil. The demons are there as well. And so they're in the air around us. This is why he speaks about principalities. Make no mistake about it. 
All of this is surrounding you. There are a great crowd of witnesses, witnesses both for God, witnesses for both Satan surrounding us every single day of our lives. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Mark with perseverance the race marked out for us. God has given you a destiny. He's marked out your destiny. He has called you to some greater purpose, to serve the kingdom of God. Wait patiently with perseverance and walk that race. Walk that race. Uh, don't be distracted knowing this is the will of God in your life. Verse 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. So what does it mean? It means Jesus endured patiently with perse perseverance. All right? because he understood the will of the father. And so that's the call of, on your life. Uh, and so as you do this, we walk daily, walk, we pray, Lord, help me, teach me, father, help me to grow, sanctify me, wash me, take these sins away, help me to forgive those others. And I will allow you, father, patiently to turn this lump of clay into something special. Because that's what he'll do. That's the promise that he gives us. That's why this characteristic is important. So if you find that you're not patient now, you ask God to intervene in your life. And I believe that over a lifetime of walking with him, or walking with him, you will have patience. Now, self-control. Another characteristic of Jesus. Self-control. Otherwise called restraint. All right? Restraint. Not doing every single thing that comes into your heart or into your mind, whether it's with your tongue or, or with your body. All right. Um, and, and so we saw that. We saw an evidence of the self-control with Jesus as he was tempted by Satan. He exhibited great self-control there uh, in the wilderness. Um, and though he was offered food, power, uh, and many other things, Jesus controlled his human desires. And submitted them to the will of the Father. Look, Jesus had very human desires. All right? He was fully man, fully man, and fully God. And so while he needed food, while he needed sustenance, he understood that it was with the will of God that he wasn't being fed. And so he patiently waited, and he self-controlled himself. Now, here's the deal. Before you were saved, you had an excuse for losing self-control. But now that you're saved and you've accepted Jesus Christ, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. So even at that moment when something comes across your radar screen, something happens in traffic, somebody cuts you off down here in Naples, which is pretty much every hour, <laughs> which is pretty much every hour, instead of putting a car in park and jumping out at the car uh, and, and ratcheting somebody, uh, you, you just say, Lord, help me. Father, help me, restrain me, all right? And I don't want you to think that, that I'm oblivious to these things myself. Uh, last week, I'm driving a car, and, and some idiot with a motorcycle comes and cuts me off, comes right in front of me, cuts right in front of me, um, and, and uh, really it angered me. 
Then he, when he goes into another lane. Then he comes back. He cuts up in front of me again. And so now he takes off. So I wanted to give him a little taste of his own medicine. <laughs> I momentarily lost some self-control. And I floored the car so that I would come up close to him to teach him a lesson. You understand? I wanted to teach him a lesson. It was a teaching moment. <laughs> That's exactly right. Not for my good, for his good. So he pulls up next to me in the car, and he's giving me various hand signs, which I'm not going to go into. Uh, and then he says, you know, I could snap this mirror off right now if I wanted to. Really. And I can't tell you what I wanted to do. But I prayed to God, Lord, give me peace, give me grace, and I just let him go and go on his way. But do you see how easily you can be brought into a situation? I could see the headlines in the Naples Daily News the next day. Bible teacher arrested after beating motorcycle driver halfway to death. Now, is that advancing the kingdom of God? Now, you might feel good momentarily, but you understand that you've got to have a greater understanding of, of what God has for you in your life. All right? God has to do in your life. Um, I, I once had a, a conversation with Hayes Wicker, the pastor of, of uh, First Baptist, and I said to him, you know, Hayes, I've come to believe that uh, the secret to good preaching is basically to show people the warts that you have. Self-deprecation. I said, people respond when they see people who preach and teach who have warts like they do. They have warts like they do. He goes, Hayes goes, oh, I could never air my dirty laundry. Dirty laundry? This isn't about dirty laundry. It's about me exhibiting to you the very characteristics that you're suffering with, that we all suffer with. I don't want you to think that because God has given me a gift to teach and to preach, that now all these warts have all fallen away. He's a holy guy. He's a holy guy. No, he's not a holy guy. He's a guy who's seeking sanctification, asking God to watch him. I have the same issues in my life that you do, even though God has called me to do this and to teach this. And so that's why God wants me to tell you these things. Not that I'm proud of it, but that I want to share these thoughts with you that you understand it, that God gives you wisdom, that you seek self-control, um, and, and because it's so true. Look, part of this issue uh, of self-control is regarding sexual restraint. All right, now I know you're looking at me. I'm talking to guys in their late 70s and 80s, and some of you can't even remember how to spell sex. But... <laughs> I remember when you were in your 30s and 40s, and some of you really still have that issue in your mind. So maybe it's not a physical issue, but it might be a mind issue. You understand? You might like to watch certain things on television. You might like to read certain things. And here's the thing. It's lust. Let's call it what it is, okay? It, it's, it's, it's not intellectual titillation. You're not reading great works of literature, all right? It's, it's sexual titillation. It's lust. And the best example in the Bible of a guy who self-restrained himself and had control over himself was Joseph. All right? There it is. There it is. Nobody's around. He's not near his father, his brothers. Nobody sees him. He's in Egypt. He's in Potiphar's house. And this wife, this very attractive woman, 
takes him uh, and attempts to seduce him. And by the way, it wasn't just a, a, a brief titillation. She basically grabbed him and brought him back into her room uh, to such an extent that even her robes were ripped. And this man walks away. He walks away. Why? Because he knew it was against the will of God. All right, here's what I want you to think about when you're going through this. It's not necessarily what you're doing against your wife, and that's bad. It's not necessarily about what you're doing against your own body, which is bad. But you're violating the will of God. God sees you. God knows you. And do you want to break the heart of God? Do you want to break the heart of God? Look, I'm speaking to saved guys. I'm speaking to saved men. I want you to understand this. Uh, And and I want you to feel clear about this. God expects you to have self-control. And one of these issues about self-control is about lust and about our habits. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. Now, this is Paul speaking about this issue of self-control and restraint. Everything is permissible for me but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. You got to love this guy as he understands right now that he has the freedom to do many, many things. God has given him that freedom. He has repudiated the law. He's no longer under the law. He's under Christ. And so uh, he has the freedom to experience a lot of things. But now he's going to talk about this self-restraint issue. I will not be mastered by anything. Food Verse 13, for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. What is he saying here? He's saying that even even something as innocent as food requires self-restraint. You don't eat until you become uh, morbidly obese. You don't need it, even though it may appeal to you. You have restraints in your life. Because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And you know, when I was a kid, I used to resent when I would be told that. I would be, because I thought that was just an excuse uh, for legalism. But it's not an excuse for legalism. It's really an understanding of the higher call to Jesus Christ. If, in fact, we, ha- we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, if, in fact, God himself resides in us as he does, then this body becomes a holy sacrifice, the temple of God. The temple of God. And so whatever I do with this body, obviously is raising this body as a propitiation and worship of Jesus Christ and God the Father. All of it, every day. And so I'm not going to let my habits or my lusts control me. Now, that doesn't mean that, that I'm not going to be tempted. Of course you're going to be tempted. Of course you're going to be tempted. But that's when you say no. And for some of us, it's sex. Some of us, it's alcohol. Some of us, it's, it's narcotics. Every single one of us has some weakness in our life. All right? All of it. All of it. Don't think you're the only one that has this issue. All of it. And so here's the thing. God has given you the ability to be willful and to control yourself. It's the Holy Spirit that allows you to do this. And so when you see something and all of a sudden your radar goes up and you see a beautiful woman, all right, and and you start to look at her and your eyes stay on her for more than 10 seconds, all right? Now, here's the thing. 
more than 10 seconds, come on. That's when you need to say, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Take, take, this, take this lustfulness out of my eyes, Lord. Because here's what happens. Here's how your body is wired. It starts with a look. Then it goes to a touch. Then it goes to let's have uh, a short meeting. Then why don't we have a short dinner? And the next thing you know, you're, you're violating the will of God. It seems so innocent in so many ways. It seems so innocent. And here's the thing. You are representatives of Jesus Christ. Wherever you go, even if you don't recognize that you are, the world knows that you are. The world looks at you. Are you walking and going and doing what you would want Jesus to see you doing? It's a hard message. It's not easy to say this to a group of godly guys. Uh, and so you, you, you understand this. And then, and then we talk about our words. Oh, Lord, have mercy on us. Turn to James chapter 3. Verse 3, taming the tongue. Verse 3, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest fire is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is uh, a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire and is set on fire. And it itself is set on fire by hell. How about that? This little tongue, the damage that this little tongue does as it reaches out in anger and speaks angry words and it destroys yourself. It destroys your calling. It destroys your minister, ministry, and it destroys other people. Instead, have self-control. Don't let every thought that comes into the back of your brain suddenly be pushed out to your mouth. Can you wait about five seconds before you press fire? Is that asking too much? Five seconds? Mm, mm, mm. All right, that passed. <laughs> I'm not saying that you won't have the instinct to reach out. But as time goes by, you will find that you'll be less likely to fire off, that your tongue will be less likely to destroy people. Uh, and, and this becomes an important issue. This was a big deal for me in my life because God allowed me to have a tongue that could carve people up. Uh, and I had to learn, I had to learn the lesson. John, don't do this. Restrain yourself. Restrain yourself. Uh, because the damage that we do cannot be corrected. You know, when you write an email, a nasty email back, you've been there, right? Somebody somehow has, has uh, upset you, and now you sit there and you've written this great work of literature in which you've carved up this person, and now you hit that send button. Well, here's the deal, folks. Once you hit send, you can't pull it back. You may try to pull it back, but once it's there, it's out there. So think carefully about that. Think about what you're saying uh, and, and restrain yourself. Restrain yourself uh, from that. That's how God wants you to live. He wants you to live a life of restraint. Amen? Amen. We'll continue this next week. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the words that you've given us, Lord, for the examples 
of Jesus in so many ways, Lord. I thank you for our men. Lord, I pray that this message resonate with them this week. Protect them where they are and bring them back safely to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you all.